0: Hey everyone, Dan Howard here at Gunnison St. Joe's with the GSTJ Community Health Podcast. And on today's show, we're going to be starting the new year out talking about vaccines, uh, childhood vaccines specifically. We're going to have Andrea Anderson, one of our primary care providers here, along with Scott Larson, our pharmacist. We're going to find out what you need, when you need it, and why you need it. Here we go. We're taking- Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And joining me today on the uh, GSTJ podcast is Andrea Anderson, who's one of our primary care providers at Gunderson St. Joe's, and Scott Larson, our doctor of pharmacy. We're going to be talking about vaccines. Guys, how are you? Good. Good. So um, I want to talk about vaccines. Uh, it's, it seems like it's become more of a, a discussion topic um, since after COVID. And we're not just talking about COVID vaccines. We're talking about uh, childhood immunizations, which seem to be uh, kind of on the down low, uh, particularly in this area. So I wanted to go through like the whole schedule, why things are given, why things are given specifically at that time, and what are we trying to protect against? just to kind of remind people. Um, so the first the first one on the list, kids are kids are uh, vaccinated against FB at birth. Seems pretty early, but what what are we doing when we vaccinate kids for Hep B at birth?
1: Yeah, so Hepatitis B is a virus um, and why we're giving it at birth is so that we can protect these babies against a Hepatitis B infection that they may come in contact with their family members that they don't even know they have it. Um, Some people have symptoms if they have an acute infection, and some people do not if they have a chronic infection. So that's why we're starting that at birth. And we also give boosters of that at um, typically two months, four months, six months um, to keep those kiddo- kiddos protected. Um, the hepatitis B virus, if in an acute infection can cause you know, illness like fever, um, jaundice, nausea, vomiting, but a chronic infection that goes untreated can lead to serious liver problems, uh, even liver cancer death. death. So, um, that's why we're protecting those kids against that.
0: And do, they, do we do we stop giving those boosters after a certain time, or do we just should people be constantly getting them?
1: Well, typically we give about three or four vaccinations of that, um, and they shouldn't need any more for the rest of their life because it's supposed to give lifetime immunity. Um, You know, back in the day, we didn't vaccinate against this. So some adults maybe have not been vaccinated against it. And we have been vaccinated some adults that are higher risk, um, including people who work in healthcare or if you have certain chronic medical conditions like diabetes, if you haven't been vaccinated as a child.
2: Yeah, and I would even add to that dialysis patients. um, Sometimes we'll have to draw titers. Um, and I guess I guess uh, one thing I did want to include is our usual disclaimer that you know Andrea and I are going to talk about what we know now. Some of this data could change, you know, tomorrow. But what we know now is what we're going to share with uh, your audience, Dan. Mm-hmm.
0: So you talk about like so the Hep B vaccine. It seems it's it seems like you you mentioned there, Andrea, that it it kind of gives a long term immunity towards it. Scott, how does that? Do you know how that? how that works.
2: Yeah, sure, sure. So I think it's it's important to understand, and I don't want to insult any of your viewers' intelligence, that there's, you know, our immune system is a very complex um, part of our existence. And there's something called the innate system and the acquired system. And I'm going to simplify this, and Andrea, feel free to, to uh, jump in at any time. But the innate system is what you're born with. It was what is passed on to you through uh, evolution and through your parents and your grandparents, et cetera. And it kind of consists of you know the microbiome, it consists of your genetics, it consists of, uh, of a neurologic component. There's a lot of components to that. And so that is kind of what protects you from microbes. And when I say microbes, I guess I'm referring more to bacteria, uh, dirty food, dirty things. I mean, your immune system is constantly protecting you 24 seven and that innate system is what does that. When we talk about vaccines, those vaccines kind of help build your acquired immune system and it builds on the innate system. So the acquired system and the innate system kind of work hand in hand. They can teach one another, they can learn from one another. So when we give vaccines, what you're trying to do is teach your innate system to work with your acquired immune system, form certain cells that will remember when that particular virus or microbe shows up again. And that's exactly what we're doing at birth is we are trying to give your um, immune system uh, exposure to some things that could cause harm in the future. Um, a healthy baby may develop something down the road. And so it's kind of uh, in terms of a, a, a problem with their immune system. So it's nice to be able to protect these children before a health care uh, or a health problem can um Worsen uh, their immune system and hence make them more susceptible to some of the things we're vaccinating against. So
0: the next, so that's that's hep B at birth. The next big milestone that I see on the schedule is around that two month mm-hmm. mark, where they get a they get a bunch of shots. That's a medical term from me. A bunch of them, um, and I remember this, you know, with my kids and any, any parents go through this time when, you know, the kids are getting the multiple shots in their thighs and then the, the baby's a little cranky for the day. We have to give them Tylenol, all of that kind of stuff. Um, it looks like there's around five vaccines. Andrea, can you kind of walk us through, like, what are we, what are we giving them at two, that two-month mark?
1: Sure. So, usually we're giving another dose of that hepatitis B that we gave at birth. Um, we're also covering uh, DTaP, which is diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis. Um, a lot of these, you know, can cause breathing problems. Pertussis is whooping cough. Um, tetanus is the one that kind of causes the, the jaw that people might might have heard of. Um, and then, you know, we combine it actually in a, they change the different combination vaccines, but right now we're giving Vaxelis. So Vaxelis is a combination of the DTaP. Hib, which is Haemophilus Influenza B, and um, polio and the Hepatitis B all together. So um, the Hib, Haemophilus Influenza B, that one is uh, can cause different like uh, ear infections, pneumonia, bronchitis, um, epiglottitis, which can cause closing of the throat. I mean, people can get really sick from it, even, even death. Um, and then the um, hepatitis B we already talked about. Polio, most people aren't even hearing much about polio anymore because we've vaccinated so well against it over the years. Um, but as people know that that can cause some, you know, um, crippling paralysis, um, even meningitis and potentially death. So it's it's a good thing we're not seeing that one anymore. So that that Vaxilis cause, you know, combines all of those. Another vaccine that we tend to give at uh, two months is the pneumococcal, which causes uh Pneumococcal bacteria like um, pneumonias, um, even ear infections, uh, sinus infections, meningitis as well. So, you know, can be, you know, typically mild, but can be severe as well. Um, and the other one we usually give at uh, two months is a rotavirus, which is causes severe diarrhea in babies. And it's actually an oral vaccine. So it's a liquid vaccine that would just kind of squirt in their mouth. So it, it sounds like a lot, but when you bring in a baby at two months, four months, and six months, they're actually only really going to get two pokes and one little drink because we combine so many of them, which is kind of nice. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, going forward, we we do further further ones at, at older ages and in other other groups as well.
0: So, you know, I know in the past uh there's been some concern around like combining vaccines and all of this kind of stuff. And I know that one of the things that, that I hear from other parents is, do you think we're giving them too much all at once? Scott, from a from a, a drug interactions point of view, like what what can you explain to us that kind of sets our mind at ease with this stuff? Yeah, so I think
2: it's kind of important to understand how we kind of come up with these vaccines. Um remember we don't the vaccines that we administer are not able to cause disease. So there's two kinds of vaccines in, in a broad sense. There are live vaccines and there are vaccines that are inactivated. The inactivated vaccines, and there's a couple of different kinds in uh, within those inactivated vaccines also, but inactivated vaccines generally what we do is we take a small piece of the outer membrane or of the sensitizing agent for that particular disease, and we inject that or we incorporate that into the vaccine so that when you are when it's injected into the human body just that tiny piece which cannot cause the disease stimulates the immune system to cause that memory that we were referring to earlier in the program live vaccines are attenuated meaning that their ability to cause disease has been pulled away from it But you'll notice, and you touched on it, Dan, that at two months, we're not really giving any live vaccines uh, um, other than that rotavirus. But everything else, you're not getting those live vaccines until later on in life. And the rationale is that your immune system as a young child isn't fully developed yet. So what we do is we prime it by giving it these inactivated vaccines. So I get that question a lot in terms of, well, how can the immune system possibly take all of these vaccines at once? Well, remember what I said initially with that innate system, your your body is primed and it's learning. It it's it's um it is protecting you and learning at a rate that it's that's almost infinite. It's hard for us to even understand how quickly it's learning and how quickly it's adapting to your environmental um, attacks, if you will. So when we give these vaccines, I mean, when you talk about food air, water, all of those things that are attacking you. When you talk about, you know, three or four more vaccines or five, six vaccines, it really doesn't tax the immune system what people think it does. Um, It certainly gives the immune system something to work on, but remember, it doesn't, they can't cause disease because they are inactivated or they're attenuated. Does that answer that question, Dave? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: So talking about we talked such a little bit about combined vaccines. I know one of the combined vaccines that I remember as a kid was the MMR vaccine, uh, and I think that comes in at the one year mark. So, Andrew, can you talk about what comes in at the one year mark alongside of those?
1: Sure. So we give the MMR, which is measles, mumps, rubella, um, just kind of a group of, of viruses that can cause um, fevers and rashes and. Um, You know, some of them can be a little more severe and cause long-lasting effects, um, including, you know, rubella. If if a pregnant woman gets rubella that has not been vaccinated, it can actually cause birth defects in the baby. So um, something to not only protect you, but people around you as well. And varicella is the other one that we commonly give at 12 months, which most people know as chickenpox. Um, You know, back in the day, we didn't use to vaccinate that, and we used to get the disease itself. And then... Um, you know, some people had some mild cases, but some people can get long lasting scars from it. Um, they can get really sick from it. Even, you know, young babies and older people actually don't do as well as, as the kiddos do with it. Um, and some people can be hospitalized or even have, have death from it. But the, the newer thing that we're looking at now is people who have had the chickenpox virus are at risk for getting shingles later in life. Which is a painful blistery rash that you can get, and you know it's not like it's been out long enough for us to really know. But we're hoping that most people aren't going to end up with shingles if they've been vaccinated against chickenpox rather than getting the virus itself. So that's something to look forward to in the future. We also give a few um, boosters of these other vaccines that I've mentioned previously um, at you know 12, 15, 18 months, updating people's DTaP and Hib and et cetera.
0: Then the the next milestone I see is, I mean, I know there's boosters along the way, but the next milestone I see is, like, that 11 to 12, we've got a meningococcal uh, vaccine, and then there's a relatively new one that I want to spend some time on, which is HPV. So, Andrea, what can you tell us about these two that that we start working on at 11 and 12?
1: Yeah, so the meningococcal protects against... uh, meningitis, essentially. Um, and, you know, back in the day, we also used to just give this off when people were headed off to college because we thought they're in close quarters, we're going to spread it that way. Um, but, you know, we realized the significant effects that meningitis could have, which a lot of times is death, and we're trying to prevent death. So um, that's why we're, we're giving this usually at around 11 and then boosting it after age 16 now. And, um, you know, that's it's just a good thing to prevent. You don't want to get an infection of the lining of your brain and spinal cord. So, yeah, um, the HPV Gardasil vaccine is now an HPV 9, so it protects against the nine kind of most dangerous, um, harmful types of human papillomavirus. There are hundreds of types of human papillomavirus out there, um, but these nine, you know, most dangerous ones can cause things like cervical cancer, oral esophageal cancers, genital warts. So, these are things that. You know we we really want to prevent. Um, so the the thing now is to start giving the vaccine. We can give it a, as young as age nine, typically through age twenty six, um, but some older people can get it if they if they qualify. And ideally, you start this before people become sexually active, and you get in all of your doses before that time. So. Ideally, we're actually starting at age 9, sometimes starting at age 11, if people so desire. And if you started before age 15, you actually only need two doses, whereas if you started after age 15, you're going to need three. So that tends to be my motivator for those kids to get that done and get it done early so you don't have to worry about a third shot in it. Um, and it also, you know, we've found that people, when they're younger, their immune system's better. So it's, it's better to give it when they're younger. They're going to get better protection from it. And you know, I, I just think it's a really important vaccine. I always tell everybody, this is the only vaccine we have that protects against cancer. So why not get it? Mm-hmm.
0: Scott, anything that you can share from a pharmacist perspective on on this yeah. you know, HPV? I, I feel like I, I feel like it's relatively new, although I, I think it came out kind of like 2006. But uh, I've seen I've seen commercials about it and things like that. So I'm I'm sure there's other people out there like me that are like, uh, and also like I I think I think parents. Probably don't want to think about then, you know, their nine-year-old or eleven-year-old or twelve-year-old and what, the, what their sexual activity might be in the future. Um, what can what can you
2: share from a pharmacist' perspective? Yeah, I think you you nailed it. I think it's definitely not new. You're correct. It was out. It's been out for many years. But I think there's been renewed uh, discussions on the topic because I think you 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 touched on it. Um, When we say, you know, we're giving you something to protect against the sexually transmitted disease that immediately gets parents to think, wait, 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 my kid's nine. What are you doing? What are you talking about? And then, of course, there's that um, there's some misinformation, disinformation out on the out on the Internet, suggesting that, you know, you give this vaccine and now you're you're um, changing your child's proclivity towards sex. You're changing your child's um, uh, views. And of course, we point back to the science when someone says something like that and say, no, 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 this vaccine is to protect you against a virus that could eventually cause um, cancers down the road. And like Andrea said, there's a lot of of, uh, papillomaviruses out there and they're fairly ubiquitous. So if you have the opportunity to protect yourself against um, some of the strains that we know can cause anorectal cancers and oral cancers or or, um, lesions, it's worth doing. But I definitely think you're right that I think the, the national dialogue about um, some of the schools kind of jumped on it initially and said, we're going to require this. And of course, that's kind of what got it into the press. And then the press glommed on saying, boy, this is a hot topic to discuss. But a lot of it is, again, something that um, you've heard me say it a million times. Andrea and I aren't here necessarily to push you into a vaccine. We're here to answer questions and tell you what's best for your child or for yourself. That's what we're here for. We'll answer questions, and this is a one that we really like to address um, when it comes to questions about it.
0: Well, guys, this has been a really great conversation, and I think at some point it might be worth diving deep, even deeper into some of these vaccines because my interest is piqued when I find out about how some of these things work. Uh, If you've got any questions about anything that you've heard or seen on the uh, podcast today, please drop them in the comments below, and we will be right back after this very short break. Thanks very much, Andrea and Scott. Hey, welcome back. Uh, big thanks to Andrea and Scott for joining us today talking about childhood vaccine schedules. Uh, there's a lot of information out there on the CDC website for parents uh, who are interested in getting more information about uh, what vaccines their kids might need. There's some downloadable schedules as well. Uh, and as always, uh, the best place to go for advice is your primary care provider. So do reach out to them either through my chat or setting up an appointment and make sure your kids are up to date with their vaccines. And that is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for following the show and do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Please tell a friend about us as well. Help us spread our word. Um, thanks to those who have given us five-star reviews across various podcast platforms. Please keep them coming. They really help the show rank higher in search results. And uh, have yourself a great day. Until next time, take
2: care. We